Trying, baby, trying to rank Beatles for so long. And if you feel like I feel, sugar, come on. Oh, come on. Ooh, let's ring some songs. <laughs> I did that for you. <laughs> Thank you. I just composed that sensual, sensual moment for you. I love it. I was sitting here trying not to laugh the whole time because I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was brilliant. I hope you liked it. I loved it. Thank you. That was fantastic. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 30. Wow. 30 of Ranking the Beatles. Glad you're here. Our episode probably has some wrinkles now. <laughs> Maybe a couple grays. <laughs> yep. Yep. We're not. A, it's not at liver spot length yet. But No, not quite yet. Not yet. But we got some time. Plenty more episodes to go. But uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Hope you're all doing well, having a lovely week wherever you are, whatever you've been doing. My name is Jonathan. Over here to my left, whatever side of the headphones she's in for you, that's whatever side she's on, uh, my beautiful partner in everything, Julia. Hey, y'all. How are you, my dear? I'm all right. Yeah? Good. Uh, if this is your first time listening to our show, what we do here is at the start of quarantine last year... I made a list of 223 songs recorded and released by the Beatles and then ordered them from least favorite to most favorite. And every week we discuss a new song with a different guest. And that's where we're at today. Song number 187. And let's uh, clarify that this is your least favorite to most favorite. Yes. I don't necessarily agree with you on everything. This is true. But that's okay. That we have fun true. talking about it. That's true, we do. And we have a really exciting show for us this week. I am so excited for our guest today. Uh, I invited her because we've discussed recently how important it is to have different perspectives uh, because that's how we grow and learn, right? Yeah. Kind of talked about that with some of the the songs that we talked about last year. True. Um, so when I saw that this song was coming up on the list, I told Jonathan that I really would love to discuss the song with another woman. And we brainstormed for a total of like three seconds before inviting our guest today. Diana Erickson is a co-host of what we think is one of the most interesting Beatles podcasts. Along with her co-hosts, Tali and Phoebe, she found a commonality in the fact that in their many years of nearly obsessive Beatles research, like some people I know, <laughs> Me? Um, all three were dissatisfied with how the Beatles story has been told since the band's breakup in 1970. They believe that many of the narratives around the Beatles story are predicated on faulty assumptions and post-breakup spin. They decided to channel their energy into creating well-researched, irreverent, nuanced, and emotionally intelligent analysis of the Beatles story. That's how Another Kind of Mind podcast was born. Yeah. And as someone who's done what I have to assume is a similar amount of obsession and reading and research uh, and reading the same stories over and over again, just told by different people, uh, it's really been fantastic to hear new viewpoints and ideas and ways of thinking uh, in the story where no one really actually knows what the hell went on aside from the four actual Beatles. But everyone seems to have an idea or their own side of the story. 
Um, I think their podcast and the discussions that they're having are really reinventing the lens uh, with which the Beatles are viewed. And that is paramount to keeping essentially a, a dead enterprise alive and moving. I mean, the Beatles are no longer an active unit. So how do you continually reinvent discussing the wheel at that point? Right. And I think what they're doing is really putting, you know, new perspectives on things that are going to really move the needle of how we discuss that band uh, going forward. So as a fan, I'm super appreciative to see, you know, a whole new world discussed for this band. Yeah. And I remember the first time you played one of their podcasts for me, um, right after you had started listening to it, it was um, the first episode of the John Paul breakup series. And we're, you know, having breakfast, we were listening to it over breakfast and I just kept turning to you wide eyed, just like, <laughs> wow, I never thought about it that way. That's yeah. amazing. Like, like, so if you're not listening, you need to get on it. Yeah. Get on that noise. So with that in mind, folks, it is our pleasure to introduce and welcome to our podcast, Diana Erickson. Diana, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good. How are you both? We're, oh, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Same old, same old. Yeah, just you know, <laughs> dealing with um, you know, life in our little bubble as uh, as we have been for the last year. How how are you? How has the the last twelve months of strangeness been for you? Uh, well, it's been okay. Um, I feel like I've my world has shrunk to Zoom pretty yeah. well. You know, like it. It, it's become very, very uh, uh, computer centric, but um, but spent some good time with the family. So it's fine. Done some good podcasting. Listened to some great podcasts. Yeah. Um, nice. You know? So you know, all things considered, especially compared to many people, it's been it's been fine. Yeah, that's been one of the nice things about. I shouldn't say one of the nice things, but you know, having feeling like I have more time now and being able to dive into different podcasts. That's how I kind of stumbled upon another kind of mind was Excellent. when I guess about two or three months into lockdown, um, my work made us all take like some time off. So I spent a lot mm-hmm. of time working on some projects in the backyard and went through like the entire breakup series, like while working in the backyard, like that was my consistent oh my daily listening was that, um, and find, you know, finding all these great podcasts that I hadn't found before, um, and kind of inspired what eventually led to us doing this. So, you know, it's definitely the silver lining. Uh, if anything was more podcasts in our lives. <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And, and I love podcasts, you know, and it seems like uh, when you look at the content that's being created for TV right now or for Netflix, like I wish they were out there shooting, but it's really difficult for them. So like the best, I think most relevant content that's coming out right now is it through podcasts sure, you know because yeah. we don't you can do it like this and you don't need to go and shoot so we're able to create i hope interesting stuff yeah um but i have a i have a question for you jonathan so having gone deeply and intensively into the breakup series were you what were you just intrigued or did you get depressed listening to that much breakup talk um i, f- I well it's always like it's a it's always kind of it's always kind of a sad topic to discuss and to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, it's also interesting because it was kind of coinciding with like a definite like sea change in my own musical career. Um, 
so it was somewhat cathartic to listen to and to see like business interests intersecting with relationships and like correlating that with my own life felt really timely and like really interesting to me. Um, so it was weird to kind of see, it was weird to have a chance to see my own self in the Beatles in a non-musical sense. Cause you can listen to a song and like relate to it, but it's hard to relate to like interband relationships sometimes, especially for a band like the Beatles. Um, but to kind of see like, you know, where management just, you know, does everything they can to like divide and conquer and seeing how like things splinter and finding that through line I thought was really interesting. Um, so if anything, it was maybe a bit more therapeutic to listen to. I don't know if, if that, that seems kind of oh strange God, to say it out loud, but <laughs> as I say that out loud, I'm like, that's really weird oh. and dark and sad. <laughs> That's great, though, because and, and anybody who's listening who has not uh, listened to the Breakup series, you know, I, I would like to say that I don't think it's depressing to listen to. <laughs> I don't think so, because we try not to make it too, too serious because it's a, you know, it's a heavy topic. Yeah. So we try not to make it too serious. But also when you start to go through the emotions, like, you know, sort of understand how they may have been thinking and relating to it's very, very human, yeah. you know, and it's. That's one of the things that you know, I love best about the way you the way y'all approach it is it's like I feel like it's one of the first times that the humanity of the Beatles as individuals is discussed because um, they're always put on like this pedestal of just being these gods. Um, and it's kind of the first time it's like, well, no, they're they're four very different, very complicated humans and humans are inherently messy um, no matter yes, no matter yeah. how successful they're just messy. Um, so it's, it was good to kind of look into that. And I think by the end of it, it felt like the idea of like a natural conclusion made more sense. Does that make sense? That's where it needs to go. Like, it's obvious that there's really nowhere to go for them. If that makes sense. Like, it's like watching a relationship come to its end. We might have a different point of view though. Ooh. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I like it. Cliffhanger. I like it. Yes. Well, if, can I ask you then if we can, let's go back a little ways. Uh, how did you first get into the Beatles? What's your, your story with the Beatles? Um, I think like a lot of people, you know, just came onto my radar. I was trying to think back when they, they really came onto my radar. And I think it's around uh, 11, 12, around 12 years old, probably. And uh, I got the red and blue album. Mm -hmm. I must have liked them because I want to, I, I, I don't remember asking for it, but I got the red and blue albums for Christmas. And I remember thinking a lot of the red songs were the same song, you know, so they <laughs> I kind of must have known one or two songs. But um, my parents also had uh, Sar the Sgt. Pepper record as well as Magical Mystery Tour. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of my initiation into the world and i'm really i think impacted by that that sort of view or image of the beatles is 1967 you know magical wizards kind of beatles mm -hmm. um and you know i was listening to your intro or i remember from your intro um you mentioned that you didn't really like you know when was that that i was into it it was like eight ladies 80s early 90s or something and uh, you made the point that um, 
you didn't really have anyone to talk about, or this was kind of your own thing, right? Mm. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, correct. That's right. Well, it made me realize the same for me too. I mean, I don't think I talked to anybody about the Beatles and I didn't have any friends that liked them. Mm. It was just me and, you know, I have a younger brother. And so eventually I, you know, hooked them, hooked him as well. But, you know, it wasn't like a cultural thing where I could talk to my friends about them. So it really was something that was all my own and a passion right from the start. Yeah, same. And neither neither of my parents liked the Beatles at all. They used to always tell me to take take the records off for God's sake. But <laughs> that's so but, funny. Yeah. Were they yeah. were they like was it, was it like, we're a Stones house? Get that Beatles crap out of here? Or were they just into something You know totally what? Different? My mom was. She was like, she was like I like the Stones. If you have to play one. I mean, I played a lot of Dylan and Beatles at the time. And she, she, I remember her yelling, just saying, take that off. <laughs> <laughs> Put on some good music like the Stones. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's I, can, I would imagine that like around 13 or so, like around that age, my parents, if I had put on the Beatles, they probably would have been like, thank God you're not listening to Nine Inch Nails for five minutes. Like, oh, please, more of this. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, we had someone on recently. I think it was I think it was James from the Oasis podcast last week was saying that in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, the Beatles as kind of a cultural culturally relevant or weighted thing, like they just weren't really popular, like. It was well past nope. their time and uh, nobody really cared about it. And it was, you know, I guess kind of, I, I think it's really around the time of the, the anthology and that hype of like looking back at things where that kind of machine started churning and like bringing that entity, like bringing them back into the forefront and really making them kind of cool again, um, which was cool for me. Cause all of a sudden something that I, I liked was popular. Yeah. And like, I didn't have that prior to that. (laughs) So that was cool. Yeah. I had that same experience where when they, when that came on, it was like, cool. Well, everybody else is catching up now, Mm -hmm. but you know, it certainly, you know, I was a huge fan before that, you know, so it, it, but it was fun. I can remember going into like a classroom. I think, I think it was fourth grade and telling several friends about the Paul is dead theory and getting the blankest stares. Like they, they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't care. And they were just like, why are you wasting our, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, let's go play transformers. This is stupid. <laughs> and I actually, I had a, a fifth grade teacher named Mrs. Cobbs who used to lend me records that she, cause she was a Beatles fan and I wore a Beatles t-shirt on like t-shirt Friday, whatever day it was, you could wear like a regular t-shirt. And so she would like bring me her records to like take home and borrow. So that was like the coolest thing. But then all of a sudden, like I was the kid whose friend was the teacher. <laughs> so, so that was kind of weird. <laughs> That's really cute. Yeah, I remember dressing up like a hippie and with a guitar and performing something to my class, you know, mm-hmm. inspired by the girls. But um, and, and nobody else was doing that. Yeah. I had one, one other hippie dippy friend. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You guys are so brave. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was just like going with the flow. I'm like, uh, Nine Inch Nails, Nirvana, all your grunge things. I'm into that. I'm good here. Doc Martens. Yep. yep. Torn jeans. Look, I just bought myself another well, pair of Doc Martens. I'm you living did. my best life. Well, they're very, they're very hot right now. They, they are. are. Like the nineties are back in such a big way. And Doc Martens are the shoe of the moment. I will have you know. See, I'm we still have, cool. We have a niece who is uh, 14. She lives in Chicago. 
and cool, cool kid. And she recently asked if I would teach her to play guitar. Uh, so we're doing it over Zoom. And I was like, well, what kind of stuff do you want to learn? Like, give me the songs that you'd like to learn to play. And she sent me like Nirvana, My Bloody Valentine. What else was there? Oh, I can't remember. You read the list. And Radiohead. I was like... like, she's like ensconced in the 90s completely. Oh, and I was God. like, you know what? If Gabriella knew me as a teen, she would think that I'm way cooler than she thinks <laughs> I am now. Yeah. <laughs> She'd be like, do you have all those shirts still? <laughs> right. Do you have, do those, you have those vintage shirts? <laughs> I might actually have some posters in my parents' attic. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diana. You guys. Um, sorry. You can... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But, I mean, you can have a great conversation right now with her because, you know, fandoms, they have so, you know, fandoms have really exploded. So there's mm-hmm. so many things you guys could probably add about these days. Yeah. And I, it's the bummer is that she lives in Chicago. So we don't get to see her often, especially in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to like, I, the, the very last thing that I think a 14 year old wants to do right now is talk to their late thirties aunt and uncle. Um, <laughs> I think if it, Nirvana, maybe. if it weren't for guitar, I probably would not get a text message from her, but <laughs> that's probably that's accurate. Awesome. She's a cool kid though. We're, we're cool. very lucky. I think. Yeah. yeah. They're all cool. All yeah. their kids are cool. Um, So, Dana, how did another kind of mind come about? Was there a particular straw that broke the camel's back for any of you? And you were just like, we need to do something different. Like, we got to we got to help people (laughs) out. (laughs) Uh, There was probably multiple straws. Um, You know, Phoebe and I started uh, a couple of years before we hooked up with Talia. Uh, we had started working on various projects. So, you know, we actually created a lot of content and were working through a lot of different issues around the Beatles. And we just had fun chatting about the Beatles. And um, then, you know, I think that Talia had the idea of doing a uh, podcast and she and Phoebe knew each other. And so somehow the three of us got together and and uh, decided to do this. So it was uh, Talia's original idea. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then Phoebe came in and I came in. And, uh, you know, we really, when you listen to the breakup series, it's quite funny to me when I listen and, and we say, stay, you know, join us for a few episodes or whatever it is, you know, it, it, was, supposed <laughs> to be, it was supposed to be a few episodes that we were going to tell the breakup, but you know, it ended up being, I mean, we're going on to episode 10, 11, 12 right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting because when you're talking about the breakup, the goalpost continues to change because you realize that they really never, you can't really assign a date to it because mm-hmm. they continue to have this, relationship so it just has gone we do have an end date like we we do know where we're ending our discussion on this particular topic so mm-hmm. we've got a few more that we're going to talk about but um uh so you know we started this and it's been great fun it's been incredible i i love what we've done and uh and we're all doing we're both working on that and doing some other side projects right now nice did did you all have to kind of sit down and really map out like how you're approaching everything on this, because I feel like the perspectives that y'all are bringing almost seem to come from more of like a psychology or therapy point of view. Um, And I find that really interesting. So I wonder, I'm wondering, 
Does anyone have a background in that? And, you know, how, I guess, how, how do you chart out the, the, the path of all of this? If you don't mind Uh, telling me how the sausage is made. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. Um, I do have some training. I, you know, none of us are therapists or psychologists. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do have some training in it, but you know, it's not my background. I think we all work in creative uh, endeavors or uh, Phoebe and I do anyways. And uh, I think that we're just approaching it as artists and storytellers, you know, like what works because that's what you do when you're creating a story, you mm-hmm. know, it's just like, what is human? What, what is human behavior? What works? And I think we just both came at it from like a human intuition, a human perspective. And because we have both worked on a lot of projects where there's a lot of storytelling involved, I think the story arc of the Beatles was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. I know it was frustrating to me because it's just like, if I were writing that story, I would be flagging it saying, okay, there's a problem here because this part doesn't make sense behaviorally, you know, like the, 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 the you know, people are best friends for 12 years and then meet somebody else and forget about the other person. It just, that's not how relationships work. Right. And so, um, you know, so we had mapped out, you know, we've, we've discussed a lot of things. We, we discussed, uh, you know, what happened in 75, 74, um, 80, we, you know, have gone back to, uh, Ham- there's a lot of different parts of, um, the, the Beatles story that we had discussed and mapped out. But, you know, one of the things that, the historian uh, Aaron Torkelson Weber talks about is there's two major themes uh, and there's two great debates in the Beatle Beatle them world. And that's like, who is the greater genius and um, who broke up the Beatles. And so, you know, I think Phoebe and I both had the perspective that we don't want to debate who's the greater genius. I mean, I don't want to have that debate. I think that they're both geniuses, you know, and and that can't be solved. They're, they're both amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, preferences, but it's from my perspective, they're both incredible geniuses and, 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 and George and Ringo as well. But this particular series is very Lennon McCartney centric. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to start on this because so many of the tropes come from this space. We thought it was really important to start with this topic and really go through it. And so even though, you know, we had already been working together on various projects for a year and a half, because we went into greater detail, it forced us to go even more deeply into our research and think the day-to-day, you know, activities and what the, each other were reacting to. So I think that it, it took our understanding of what happened to a much deeper level, mm-hmm. I think. So that was a long answer. <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's fantastic because, and, and I mentioned this earlier, you know, I feel like I've read a lot of Beatles books that have essentially told the same story um, just with, you know, different pictures, um, you know, so to see it, you know, kind of rehashed in a more human way and a more, you know, thought out and well-presented way. Cause I mean, yeah. I've got ex bandmates who I don't talk to. Um, and you know, you don't, you don't just forget that person and you don't just discount the things that you've done together um, and they yeah. weigh on your mind in different ways and you process them differently. And it's never just like, well, I've got married and I've got, I've moved on to my new partner. Like, so, yeah, uh, you know, it's not. Yeah. So I, I think looking at it from that perspective has really been 
uh, as a fan, it's really fun because it, it, it's like a refresh, you know, like it's a yeah, you know, it's really like, yeah, like a that's, reboot. That's, oh, great. I love that. And I think that now, you know, again, uh, Aaron Torkelson Weber says that really now we're at the time when we can actually look at the story more objectively and probably get a better understanding which was like great amazing it's a good time to have a podcast you know um so but julia to your point uh and jonathan to, to build on what you're saying i think that that was the tipping point was that there was so you know there's constantly new books coming out and the story was constantly told in the same way and every time I read the the story it it didn't make sense and I would always wonder why doesn't anybody ever challenge this or why don't they try and empathize from a different perspective or there's some baked in assumptions that I just don't agree with and why doesn't anybody challenge it and I think so much of the writing has come from one type of person you know like a, a you know an older white male um has frankly told this story uh, you know tends to be really involved in the rock and roll you know world you know and an ex rolling stone writer like sheffield although i think sheffield is actually doing a good job of bringing some new thinking to the table Mm -hmm. but i remember uh do you remember did you guys ever read the book uh powers of two by joshua wolfshank Mm -mm, no well he there was an article in the Atlantic in 2014 where he talked about the powers of two and he talks about creative partnerships. And one of his lead partnerships is uh, Lennon McCartney. And he started to challenge some of the baked in assumptions. And what he did was put more emphasis on the emotional aspect of the Lennon McCartney partnership. And to me, it was just exciting. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't agree with every, I, I I disagree with a lot of what Shank says, but it just was exciting to be like, okay, let's, let's rethink through, uh, let's rethink this and, you know, start to bring some new thinking to the table. So I don't know what that straw was, but it was just like, I can't read another Beatles book. Yeah. And, and sorry, you know, you know, our perspective, if you listen to another kind of mind, um, we don't think that Mark Lewison is doing it. Right. You know, he brings facts and and he brings additional support. And and I'm personally very happy that he is doing that, that that's necessary. Mm -hmm. But in terms of bringing a new point of view to the story, no, I don't think he's doing that. Yeah. Well, I I think and I haven't read. Excuse me. I haven't read any of his recent books. Like, I know he just put out that big one. um, Tune in. Tune in. I I haven't read that um, mainly because I feel like. I felt like it was just going to be like the expanded edition of the story I've already heard. Um, exactly what it is. Yeah. Shout with. And like, that's a, it's a ton of work and like kudos to doing the work. Cause it's always good to have product yeah. out there to keep the band in the marketplace. And I get that. Um, I, Lord knows I don't have the time to do that work, even though we're doing this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, there's, there's been nothing that's like excited me to read a book about them in a long time. So like, you know, the, most of the books I've gotten, on the, on the Beatles in recent years have been like, Oh God, there's this, the one I got uh, recording the Beatles. That's very much like fact based on like, based off of like studio log notes from Abbey road. And as a musician, I found that fascinating, um, yeah. but it doesn't enhance the story of anything. That's just like, that's just research um, yeah. you know, for my own nerdy sensibilities. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I haven't found anything that's like furthering the narrative in a new way. 
Cool. Yeah. Well, well speaking I, of I, I books, hope... I listened to the episode that you guys did with Chris O'Dell about the, mm-hmm. the book that she wrote. And yep. I, I think my favorite part of that episode and something I've never really thought too hard about before, because like, again, I'm the moderate fan here. I have not read any of <laughs> right. the books. You're not the insane. <laughs> <laughs> I've read none of the books, um, but I I thought it was like a really interesting perspective on the post breakup, like John and Yoko marketing machine that was really like we're the edgy cool ones who are like peace and love and you know anti-war and like we're doing all this and like paul's over here with his like granny shit he's soft you know like they they sort of made him out to be this person that he's really not and you know created this i guess um sort of image image of themselves yeah thank you they created an image of themselves and cre- also at the same time created an image of Paul, which was like super unfair that he yeah. wasn't able to create his own image of what he is and wanted to be post Beatles. I was like, wow, I never really thought about that, that it was like really them. Yeah, because then Shit. you wonder like how much of his, how much of Paul's creative process is spurred as reactionary mm-hmm. of like having to counter whatever John and Yoko were presenting him as. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, there are going to be more podcasts coming out from me mm-hmm. about this particular subject. It is, it's kind of tragic, actually. I mean, you know, it's one of the greatest PR coups ever. Oh, is yeah. they, depos- they deposition Paul as the establishment or position Paul as the establishment while they position themselves as the true artist left, you know, renegades. Um, and, you know, at the same time that Paul is making an album all on his own in a shack in Scotland, like how they managed to position him as the establishment, the mass, mm-hmm. the, the not the shallow, not true artist is beyond me. And the rock press just bought it up at the time. You yeah. know, they, they just but, you know, it, as I will discuss it in some upcoming uh, episodes, Paul also left a vacuum by just not being willing i think he was he he doesn't like to give interviews as much as john and yoko mm-hmm. but also you know he i think he was just wanted to go retrench and retrench in his art and didn't want to be out there selling his story and i think linda probably played into that too because her perspective seems to be you know like who cares we don't need to explain ourselves which is super cool for their life right but it's certainly did not help their story. And and it's a bit heartbreaking because I think Paul was, Paul has been gaslit. Yeah. Um, and depositioned or inappropriately depositioned to this day. And mm-hmm. it's painful because he's a beautiful artist. And, yeah. You yeah. Know, so. Well, again, I, I think you all are doing a absolute fantastic job. Um, and I'm super excited to have you here on the show today because uh, I think our song that we're going to talk about today is a tricky conversation and um, yep. one that we, I think both have been kind of nervous about having uh, since we started this <laughs> yep. list. And really, you know, when I first did the ranking, my initial pass was just kind of like stream of conscious. Like, you know, I knew what my tops were. I knew what my bottoms were. And then I kind of just started going and filling in like, what would I rather listen to less than this? What would I rather listen to less than this? Um, yeah. I did a little bit of revision but it was really all based on like gut instinct. Um, And then as I reassessed it, like a good bit into the project, I kind of felt guilty about having run for your life 
not at like 223 or 222 you know yeah um yeah. so i've kind of felt bad about that and i've i've hemmed and hawed about should i move it should i leave it be i decided to keep it kind of true to the original spirit of the list and leave it where it is um but still have i think we can have a really good discussion about it because i think there's a lot of layers to the onion to peel so uh <laughs> with that in mind let's end the episode <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned for part two <laughs> But um, with that in mind, let's go ahead and rank our song for this week. Are we ready? Yes. Awesome. Ready. All right. Coming in at number 187 is Run For Your Life. Right, so following their August 1965 American tour, John and Paul are hurrying to write songs for their sixth album. Uh, John has once stated that when he's against the wall to write something, he would often look to other songs for inspiration, uh, lyrics that would strike a chord or a melody that he could pinch. Uh, and in looking back to the 1954 Elvis tune, Baby Let's Play House, he found inspiration in the lyric, Now listen to me, baby, try to understand. I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. And from that spark, he pens the track Run For Your Life, one of the first tracks recorded for the Rubber Soul album. Uh, this song was recorded October 12, 1965, with the main backing track captured in five takes. Overdubs were completed the same day, and all in all, the track took around five hours from start to finish. They then move on uh, to work on Norwegian Wood later that same day. The track was never performed live by the band. It was actually covered in 1966 by Nancy Sinatra on her album Boots as in these boots were made for walking, uh, and also by Gary Lewis and the Playboys and Johnny Rivers of Secret Agent Man fame. Uh, now, in multiple interviews in the 70s, John declares his own dislike of this track, calling it his least favorite Beatles song, a throwaway, and the song he most regretted writing, although he does state that it's one of George's favorites. And um, <laughs> the NME actually ranked this as the worst Beatles song of all time, uh, I think in 2009. So... Why do I have the song at number 187? Uh, as I was just saying, you know, I was really torn on placing the song, you know, where I have it in the list. Uh, within the catalog, it's notoriously problematic. There's a lot to unpack for it. So I'm going to try to start with what keeps it from the bottom of the list. And I'm saying this by disassociating lyrical content from the song itself. Um, I think the track has a really fantastic vibe to it musically. Um, it's a fantastic Lennon rhythm guitar that drives it from the, like from the moment it starts. Uh, it's the feel he talks about when he says that, you know, as the rhythm guitarist, he has the ability to make a band move and shake. And as a guitar player, that's something that always struck to me, um, in the way that I try to play because his playing on this as, on, as the rhythm track really kind of makes the song groove along. 
Um, George's dual guitar parts are really interesting. You've got one hook riff that's repeating and then it gets doubled. Then underneath it, there's this sliding chord movement that kind of glides around at the start of each phrase. It's a really neat trick. Um, now, let me state again, you know, any, I'm going to talk about the vocal here and I'm just talking about the vocal performance. Uh, <laughs> as a lead vocal, it's a fantastic delivery. Um, to be able to really sell a vocal as if it's something that you truly believe, you know, for any singer is a challenge. Um, and there's a menace to this, to the, to the way he delivers this. It's mainly, it's a, a lot of it's due to the vocal, but it's buoyed by the sound of his voice and the delivery that comes off as authentic. Um, he's got the vibe of a guy who is jealous and possessive and, you know, knowing what we know about him and his history, like it makes that even more sellable in the track. Um, I, the other thing I think about this, you know, the harmonies in the chorus are just fantastic. Um, there's a isolated vocal track floating around on the internet as there always is. Um, and you know, it's so unusual because Paul takes the middle high harmony and then George takes the high uh, falsetto, which he usually doesn't do, but it's a really fantastic, smart vocal arrangement. That's like surprisingly effective and cool. You better run for your life. If you can, little girl, hide your head in the sand, little girl. Catch you with another man, that's the end, little girl. Um, so even here on a throwaway tune at the start of the record, they're being really imaginative in what they're doing with their vocals. Uh, and they, I think that continues throughout the Rubber Soul album. Um, you know, they're really experimenting and trying new things. And this is just, if this is the, the tip of the iceberg for that session, they're off to a good start. Uh, the whole performance, just of the track, you know, lyrics aside, it feels like a cool, confident band. The track kind of rocks. When you take it as it does. as a musical performance, it does. Unfortunately, um, it's undermined by the lyric. Uh, there are other songs in the catalog that you know demonstrate possessiveness in a less on the nose kind of way, like you can't do that. Nothing quite as blunt as the lyrics in "Run for Your Life." I'm really puzzled that nobody took the time to second guess or kind of hold up a stop sign. Not George Me Martin, too. who's like super. Me too. Yeah, like, you know, George Martin and Brian Epstein, who are both like super proper business minded guys. Paul, who's a business minded guy, you know, they always say like he's the PR guy. Like, how did no one go? This does not reflect well. Um, yeah. You know, that's one of the things that I'm so curious about. This is like no one looked at like, how does this affect the brand and our image? Um, it makes me wonder, you know, was John's status as like, quote unquote, the leader at that point, like did no one have like the balls to touch that and say like, eh, maybe let's not do this. Um, so it's tough. You know, I, I feel like I'm willing to defend a lot of sins for this band. Um, and <laughs> this is one that I'm really on the fence of, you know, what do you say about this? It's really a, a strange, tricky track. So with that in mind, I'm going to, about I'm going to open the floor <laughs> uh, for a discussion. So, so, like you mentioned the isolated track mm -hmm. and uh, you played that for me this morning and it actually sounds like he's like singing through gritted teeth. Let this be a sermon. I mean everything I said, baby, I'm determined and I'd rather see you dead. Like he's just like, yeah. Oh, and it's like, it almost makes it like more intense. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, like, kind of means it yeah do you, do you really mean oh, he it, means, he means it. <laughs> yeah 
it's like wow like because it you know when you layer everything on top of each other it's hard to pull that stuff out but when you listen to that isolated track track i'm like oh he sounds like he's like like gnashing his teeth and he's like i'm like Mm -hmm. okay well that's interesting (laughs) that's kind of intense um I also think it's really funny that this track and Norwegian Wood were recorded in the same day. He's basically like, you can't date anyone else, but I'm also going to record this song the same day where I talk about dating someone else. So And then burn down their house. Right, right. <laughs> little, little elements even. Yeah. She made me sleep in the bath. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I can see the connection Maybe there. Maybe he had back problems <laughs> and he was really unhappy about sleeping in the bathtub. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was like a really funny connection between the two songs recorded on the same day. Of like, well, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, crazy that this song is on the same album as like the word. They're getting right. to the idea of all you need is love. Like the word is love. This is they're sort of, you know, maturing into or evolving into this embracing. <laughs> this more loving attitude, but this is such a throwback mm-hmm. to jealous guy, John, you know, not case, you know, being possessive. I mean, I, I find this whole track is, is like a throwback and not, not even a good throwback, just a throwback, you know, from, mm-hmm. I, I could see it on some other albums and I agree, Jonathan, like it's surprising that at some point they didn't say, you know, this isn't really aligned with um, the message that we're all kind of getting into it, yeah. you know, at the moment. But, and I don't think it's a matter of John. I think that John and Paul were both the leaders at this point, and especially in terms of what, in terms of song choice yeah. and what was going on with albums. Um, I think it just reflects their own lack of consciousness or insensitivity and the fact that they all knew it was coming from an Elvis song, like I, I have to assume that that's why George was always able to like it, was because, you know, it was coming, he didn't necessarily take it seriously because he knew it was coming from another song, I think, yeah. I suspect. Listen to me, baby, try to understand. I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. And I love it, baby, come back, baby, go. Come back, baby, come. Come back, baby, I won't play out with you. Because John talks a lot, you know, in the 70s, you know, there's interviews where he's, oh, it's a throwaway. It's something that I just nicked from an Elvis song. Um, yeah. But then he always says, but I always hated that song. Like, he always, he's like, oh, it's nothing, but I hate it. If it's nothing, <laughs> right. you don't well, hate it. Like, it's, it's nothing. But he's always quick to be like, no. I, that is yeah, well, there's a work. problem. Yeah, it's it's problematic. I mean, I I understand that too. In that, I say it's a throwback. Like, there's really two elements to the song that you just like. We can talk about it just as a song and not read too much meaning into it. And and I think that we'll have that conversation. But what's in the song beyond the sort of like violence against women? And that's why John wanted to separate himself mm-hmm. from the song. Obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Is because it's just like. This is not an idea that's aligned with Imagine or All You Need Is Love, John Lennon. Um, and so, you know, just as a song on its own, I was thinking about this because, you know, obviously we're talking about it. I don't love it as a song. I think it's fine. Like if it's on, I kind of enjoy it and get into the groove, mm-hmm. you know, like fine. It's good. There's nothing, I don't, don't dislike it. I just kind of like don't especially love it um, just musically. I feel like it's missing a little bit of something special 
You know, yeah. like it doesn't have that, for example, no reply, which I actually think is a really interesting contrast to this song lyrically and musically in that <laughs> in no reply, it's the the protagonist who says, I almost died. You know, like mm -hmm. that's a better way to, to articulate it, John, is yeah. that you almost died. <laughs> you, see them, you know, you see your beloved with somebody else. Um, but also that has, you know, it has the middle eight there where Paul comes in and he brings in this like crazy shot of adrenaline to the song with his, you know, his that really harmony high harmony. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I miss a little bit, like a high point in this song. Mm -hmm. Just like, a, you know, um, something to really make it special. Yeah. I think it all works together. It's fine. It's a groove. Um, but it's not like I don't think I've ever, ever chosen to go and listen to this song just for musical reasons, right. because part of me can ignore the lyrics because I'm somebody who listens to the sound of a song first anyways, you know, I like the sound, I like the music. And I, then, then I pay attention to the, the lyrics mm -hmm. unless it's a very lyric driven song. So if I can sort of just ignore the specific meaning of the lyrics, then I can enjoy that the song to a certain extent. I just don't love it, but um, then the lyrics you know, part of me thinks this is a song, so he's got some poetic license, and um, that this is a fantasy. It's like Maxwell Silverhammer. You know, I have to assume that Paul is not actually suggesting it's good to go and kill people. You know, <laughs> like it, it's based on a metaphor. <laughs> and so, you know, again, there I will give it some poetic license, but I think the problem why the problem with this song is that it uh, It kind of normalizes saying this kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. violence against women. Like if we just keep it in and it's acceptable that it normalizes it. And and I think today we just know that that's just not appropriate, right. you know? So I think that's why an enemy or, or John would just say, no, it's, you know, I'm putting it at the bottom of the list just because it's not promoting a positive message, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of sit with you with songs. I mean, this is a whole bigger discussion about fantasy versus reality in the song. Right. Songs in general. And well, and it's tough because I mean they're so good at hiding truth within fantasy. Yeah. And they're also really good yeah. at hiding like uh a sometimes troubling subject matter in a really peppy song like we were talking about that this morning it's getting better and you said that one and lyric to the bridge um i used to be cruel to my woman oh yeah i used to be cruel to my woman i beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved yeah and i was like wait is yeah, that, yeah is that really in that song <laughs> yeah, I was like, that was yeah. on like a, a national commercial. I don't know, like 10, 15 years ago. Like, and I had to look up what it was. It was like Philips TVs, like their new flat screen TVs. Getting better all the time. Well, they didn't go to the bridge. I mean, right, exactly. But I'm like, man, I really need to listen to lyrics better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've been thinking about that song the whole time in connection to this one because mm -hmm. if we're gonna sort of, if we're gonna turn our back and say, well, you know what this is not appropriate, you know, this should be varied because of the lyrics. And I'm not judging anybody liking this song right now. I'm just saying that I don't, I would not advise anybody to remake this song. Right, right? this and is just, like the one no one's covering. But there were so many no, covers. Were there? Nobody Didn't should... you say people covered it? No. 
Oh, well, in the 60s. I mean, now. Oh, I mean, okay. Now. I, I, yeah. Yeah. So many people covered it. I was like, wait, <laughs> how many people covered this? <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious to yeah, listen to the Nancy Sinatra version because then you've got gender reversal. Well, I'd rather see you dead, little boy, than to see you with another girl. You'd better keep your head, little boy, or you won't last in my world. You better run for your life if you can, little boy. Hide your head in the sand, little boy. Catch you with another girl. That's the end, little boy. Basically, this is the story. If you don't take it too, too seriously, this is a story of an unhinged, crazy, jealous person, you mm -hmm. know, that that is just communicating, that, you know, that they can't stand to see their beloved with even the thought of them being with somebody. So, right. you know, that that's that's a theme that I'd love to actually just pick up on in a second. But just in terms of like getting better i thought about that a lot in relation to this song because it's like okay this song i would say this would be at the bottom of my list if i had to choose this would be the bottom of my list just for the violence against women but getting better does also have you know mentions you know beat her i used to i mean there is the benefit in that song in that he's saying he used to and has evolved so mm -hmm. that is the one phrase but i was thinking if paul mccartney said I'm going to go back and replace that lyric. I mean, I wouldn't like him to be doing that with any Beatles song, but that's the one that I thought if he blocked that out or replaced that lyric, I think it would be for the better of the song. Yeah. Which and I was I was surprised that he he played that live not long ago. Like that was like the opener yeah. of his tour. Oh yeah. And it was like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> Bold choice." Yeah. <laughs> But. It's true. I think, it, and that, again, that shows the willingness for them to be just like, it's just a song, it's of its time, don't take yeah. it too seriously. But that's the conundrum, is that, yes, I can enjoy a song like that, but also, if you continue to repeat it, it does kind of strike the wrong chord. Like, I, especially with that song, because I, you know, I care more personally about getting better, mm -hmm. is that every time they get to that lyric, I'm just like, oh, oh, geez, yeah. it's a pity I have that in there, you know? Well, you know, and you mentioned the idea of presenting it as, you know, presenting that lyric as like self-improvement. Um, there's a lot of times, I think, where Run For Your Life gets pointed out in discussions where people like you like to go and talk about, you know, John Lennon was a terrible person. Um, and they always point to this song. Um, yeah. And I think when you look as and one of the things that I think you guys do a great job at is he's a human being. He had complex emotions. He had a, like the worst possible background, you know, as far as yeah. like stability that you could come from. And he went from being like an angry young man to the most famous and lauded person on the planet. And no human being can deal with that. Um, and I think in his art, if you look at his career, you know, at the story arc of it, there's a point where I think he definitely musically, especially, does what he can to like atone for those sins and present new ideas that are positive, uh, you know, do things for, you know, when you look at like, it's the, like he, you know, he, like when for what's the song, um, it's a Yoko song, but I know he's got a current on his like sisters of sisters. Like they're mm -hmm. looking at like female empowerment there and like putting that on using his name for this platform that puts that idea out there. 
Um, and then he's writing songs like um, uh, Asumison. I don't remember how to pronounce it. Um, off yeah. of uh, yeah. Mind Games. Um, like mm-hmm. he's very apologetic for the things that he does. And I think she's, he's showing that human growth in a way that it, it's, it's hard because, you know, on a massive platform, on a massive platform. <laughs> and it's hard because you look at so many artists who, you know, it's like the ongoing difficult discussion of like a Michael Jackson, you know, like separating art from artist. Uh, but when that art, it's, and it's rare, I think that that artist repeatedly shows Maybe a bit of self-awareness. That self-awareness of... Like when you get to like Jealous Guy, he's like, you know, I'm this way. I know I'm this way. I'm sorry I'm this way, but I'm this way, you know? And that really sort of like shows his humanity. I personally hate the whistling part of that song. It really ruins (laughs) it for me. But, you know, I I, I get what he's saying. You know, like it's... He put it out there, which is good, you know. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, who amongst us has not had that, like, maybe not on this scale, <laughs> but that, yeah. like, that X that you're like, oh, you know, I just, I love you so much. I can't bear to see you with someone else. I'm so mad that you're dating someone else now, you know, like, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. we don't write a song about it, but like, <laughs> we have all on that level, like, on some level, had that feeling. Like, we can identify with that of, you know, that sort of like every guy when they see their ex-girlfriend or their ex-partner or whatever with a new partner, your first thought is like, I could kick that person's ass. <laughs> like that is just a natural animal instinct right. to be like, I could take that person. Um, right. Right. I, I mean, I think you're right that that's, I think people who enjoy this song are just kind of like, that's what they understand about it is that mm-hmm. feeling, not that you actually want to go and kill just the anger mm-hmm. associated with it. And, and I agree with both of you that, you know, this was part of John's personality. A number of people attest to this. He was crazy, jealous, and possessive. And he talks about that. I've got some quotes to pull actually, but he did evolve too. And that's what makes John so amazing. Mm -hmm. It's not to just, you know, um, sort of uh, absolve him of everything, Mm -hmm. but he did grow like he did choose to grow and he did actually flag these issues himself he's the guy that wrote jealous guy and said i'm just a jealous guy Mm -hmm. you know how many among us actually will flag our major weaknesses and then talk about them you know so publicly and so so if we can just separate this because again if it were me i would bury this song at this point or retire it i mean if people love it and they want to love it listen to it on the album then great you know it's it's a historical document but i don't think it should be promoted but but if we're going to sort of just go beyond the violence and the lyrics and just talk to talk about the song i do think that there are some super interesting elements to the song that sort of pertain to john and the story yeah okay so for me we just touched about uh, upon one of them which is um the idea of jealousy and possessiveness and i pulled a quote we actually talked about this in the breakup series but i pulled a quote from an interview that john did in uh for women's hour so this was for a a woman's magazine john was becoming increasingly feminist at this point Mm -hmm. in 1971 and um he says here okay so the interviewer says to john and they're having a conversation about love and and the interviewer says, do you think that a new attitude towards love and relationships, would it be fair to say that we're getting away from the property concept of relationships? 
And John says, of owning the other person, there's not going to be any John Lennon <laughs> um, attempts at a John Lennon um, <laughs> accent. So John says, of owning the other person, I think, yeah, we could be, but um, that's all very well intellectually. But when you actually are in love with somebody, you tend to be jealous and want to own them, possess them 100%, which I do. And then Yoko says, yes, it's real life, all that. And I do it too. And then John says, but intellectually, before that, I thought, right, I mean, owning a person is rubbish, but I love Yoko. I want to possess her completely. I don't want to stifle her, you know? And Yoko laughs. And then he says, and that's the danger. It's that you want to possess them to death, but that's a personal problem of mine. And uh, then they continue talking about this. But, and then at the end of the interview, John says, it's after the beginning when it cools down a bit, not cools down, whatever it, uh, whatever the word is, you know, that you can allow each other to breathe. And Yoko says, yes, when you relax a bit, you know, and John says, but at first you tend to strangle each other, I think. And Yoko says, and we're, we're starting to, and John jumps in and says, and because you have so little as a child, I think it is you, once you find it, you want to hang on to it. You grab it so much, you tend to kill it. Yeah. And, you know, that particular, those two particular lines from John, where he says that, um, you know, that you tend to be jealous and want to own them, possess them 100%, which I do. And then he flags it and says, that's a personal problem of mine. And then later says that, you know, you have so little as a child. I think it's once you find it, you want to hang on to it. You grab it so much, you tend to kill it. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are so instructive to yeah. why John is this way beyond being a typical guy who just is jealous, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, when he sees his, his significant, significant other, you know, it so dates back to his childhood. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny, you know, what I, I hesitate to ever call him a, a, a cliche in any way but like there's so many things that it's like this guy is just like the textbook example of like a, the worst of like per, of familial situation like what a horrible yeah, the product of it yeah, yeah. He's, an ex, he's, he's exactly the product of that kind of you know unfortunate upbringing that and he so he's just like so starved of love that anytime anyone shows him love he he's just like yes he just like consumes yes. it at an alarming <laughs> rate it made me think of that yes. bit in tommy boy <laughs> which i hate to equate this to tommy boy oh we're you doing know this I, you know what i'm talking about <laughs> no where he's like he and david spader at the diner let me tell you why i suck as a salesman let's say i go into some guy's office let's say he's even remotely interested in buying something well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. The pet is my possible sale. Oh, my pretty little pet. I love you. So I stroke it, and I pet it, and I massage it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty pet. You're naughty. And then I take my naughty pet, and I go... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I killed it. I killed my sail. <laughs> That's when I blow it. I'm sorry. This is way <laughs> off exactly topic. Right. <laughs> but no, like I get it because like, and it's weird because even like the idea of marriage is like, I like this person so much. I only want to be with them. 
I want exclusivity yes. between you and I. And like you yes. both go into that agreement. Um, and that's kind of a, a possessive thing. I mean, when you think about marriages to involve exchanges of like dowries and property and things like that, it's very much a possessive thing. Um, and for a guy who, you know, had no mother and father and is desperately seeking, as you guys have said, a, you know, a partner and he finds yep. that in Paul and, yep. you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it, I don't know. Yeah. It's all such a shame to me sometimes. It's just like, yeah, it's poor bastard. Well, I, guess, yeah. like, I mean, we're all products of our upbringing, but you can see how, you know, some of the effects of John's, as you said, screwed up childhood. But, and to, to your point, Julia, you know, I think that it is, he's saying that when he gets it and he, it, it, he really values it, he gets so afraid that it's going to go away. So he kind of, you know, he says he kills it. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to flag that because this, when was the song written in 1965? Yeah. Yeah. And so this is pre-Yoko. And I think that, you know, in the, in the, Beatles story, it tends to be, you know, she tends to be the only one that they um, sort of assign this level of jealousy. But this was always a John thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, to understand the story, we have to understand that jealousy and especially possessiveness is a huge issue with John. And we know, you know, if you go, you, there's some crazy letters between John and, and Cynthia. So he certainly felt like that towards Cynthia, very possessive. Uh, of her but I also think that it should be applied to Lennon and McCartney too because yeah. that is a fusion of names and I don't think that it's ever considered that John would have been equally possessive of Paul mm -hmm. you know in their partnership I think it's it's viewed now that Paul it was possessive of John but John this is just part of his character you know, so even though I don't think this song is about Paul, I think that, you know, that it's an interesting theme that sheds light on just, you know, part of who John is and was at that time. Yeah. yeah. Weren't there times where, like, John, I can't remember specifically what song this was, but wasn't there at least one time where John was, like, working with someone in one room and Paul would be in the other room working with someone else and John would get mad? That Paul oh, was yeah. during, uh, why don't we, why don't we do it in the road? Yeah. And it's yeah, like, but you were in the room working with someone else. He was with George. And yeah. 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 And, but you're mad. At, like, he's just doing the same thing that you're doing. Like, why are you mad? Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. And that's another thing. There's a total double standard there yeah. <laughs> with John mm -hmm. and with Paul. Like he's, he's, he's a tough, uh, a tough partner, tough person to be partner with partners with because, you know, there's this double standard, mm -hmm. um, but but that's exactly right. I mean, he in 1980, he's talking about his hurt from the fact that Paul went and did this song on his own, or the fact that you know other people threw in a line or two to Eleanor Rigby. I mean, John was very possessive of their partnership, mm -hmm. and you know, and I think um, I think that that's really interesting. And Paul actually, when you know, if we want to pull the the quote. Uh, from Paul in this song, he talks about this jealousy being just a theme of John's. He was like, yeah, that wasn't my thing. thing. Yeah. You know, jealousy was John's theme. He makes the point that, well, you know, we should actually read the real quote. Let me see if I put it in. I think this is the one we were discussing this morning where he's like, uh, you know, it was never my thing. I had an open relationship. <laughs> And it's like, oh, wow. right. Paul, in your own mind, I think. You had an open relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, I, that, that's a different uh, area for discussion. I'm not entirely sure Jane Asher would have agreed with that, right. but yes, right. he felt like he had an open relationship, but it wasn't one of his, the idea that he wanted to possess somebody and own them and they were his, he's just saying it's not so much his issues, even though I do think that, that Paul was extremely possessive and protective of Lennon McCartney. Mm-hmm. I just think that this is, you know, something that I wanted to flag as an issue that would have governed their partnership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you look kind of, if you correlate along the timeline of like, as Paul, you know, equalizes with John in terms of like quality of, of composition, um, co- you know, conceptual like leadership, um, you know, as, as I guess as, as John's leader idea becomes less and less real. And it's more like, I guess I, I hesitate to say like Paul's rise to anything. Um, yeah. As he asserts himself more and becomes, you know, writes yesterday and all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not just the leader, like these two guys, you know, all of a sudden, like John realizes that Paul has the ability, I think, to be independent. And I think that's maybe where John's attitude to start to to certain things like say starting to call out, well, that's Paul's granny shit. Well, you don't say that about like your best friend and partner. Like you don't just deride it like in, you know, any chance you get. But all of a sudden when that partner could leave at any time and be yes. fine on their own. That's when I think, like he says, I love it so much that I kill it. That's when yes. he starts to kill that relationship a little bit. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to just push back a little bit on the quality. I think the quality of Paul's work was as good. I, should, the beginning I, of the I shouldn't have said quality. I didn't mean it in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe quantity and sort of, uh, and I, so that's a different debate, but, right. but I do take your point that, uh, Paul is, um, you know, coming to the forefront. And I think John always recognized how good Paul was. So I, yeah. I, I don't, but I think that using yesterday as an example is really important. I think yesterday's a really important song mm-hmm. in their relationship. And if you look at the seventies, John mentions yesterday a lot a in lot. songs. It's very meaningful to him mm-hmm. um, because I think that scared him Yeah, that, that, that Paul could write a song that is so famous and do it on his own, like nobody else is on that record. And and frankly, you know what? I do not criticize John for that. I think that that would be very scary. Sure. You know, if, if your partner who, you know, that you guys are best friends and, you know, have been totally supportive, all of a sudden goes and does this super famous thing totally on their own and is getting recognition, that, that would be very, very scary. Yeah. I mean, that's an, that's an ego blow. That is a, you know, a, a, a fear of what happens to what we have. Um, yeah. And, and I have to wonder, cause yeah. I, I know that there, it, it was at least raised from capital about the idea of a Paul McCartney solo album in the, in the wake of yesterday. Um, yep. and you have to wonder how much of that actually like trickled into the Beatles camp. Cause like, that's the point where like John starts to kind of not disassociate, but starts to check out a little bit, like gets a little fried out, you know, on acid and like starts kind of retreating into himself staying more at Weybridge, like you know not going into into london to to hang out and socialize and party and then by 67 i mean he's not an acid casualty but like he's not on the upward trajectory of work that paul finds himself on like i think well i mean i i could debate that one too i mean that that is I agree with you that he's in Weybridge. He's doing a lot of acid. He's spending a lot of time at Paul's actually in 67. But right. in terms of 
the quantity of his output at that time, it is less. He is less, um, but he, I think the songs he puts out in 67 are some of his best. Yeah, so, agreed. you know, I'm always hesitant to talk about it as a negative. Like, I, I think that maybe John benefited from not having so much pressure. I think that I Am the Walrus is one of John's greatest songs ever and With one you. of the Beatles' greatest, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, um, but, you know, to your, to your point that I do think it would be a blow if John is hearing that, you know, Capital is saying, let's do a Paul McCartney album or let's put this out as a, a solo Paul McCartney um, single, that that would be scary. And that, you know, for two incredibly competitive guys, mm-hmm. I mean, that could be a bit of a mind fuck, you know, sorry to swear on your oh, podcast. We do it all the time. But- <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it also makes me think, you know, their main competition at this point is like the Beach Boys, right? And yeah. Derek Taylor is over in America promoting the genius of Brian Wilson, completely separate yes. from the Beach Boys. Now, all of a sudden, yeah. everyone's looking at the one guy as responsible for this. And if now Paul is maybe positioning himself, or not positioning, or, or if John is positioning Paul in his head as yes. everyone's going to start looking at that, yes. at, at Paul the same way they're looking at Brian, then that's problematic for John. And Julie, Julia, to your point, though, I, I agree, Jonathan, but to Julia's point, John also had books that he had written on his own. He's mm-hmm. about to do a movie on his own. So it wasn't like, you know, John was being this perfect per- partner and never, oh, yeah. <laughs> never stepping up. It's just, well, it's, it's, it's just when Paul does it, it is a problem. It's run for your life and Norwegian wood on the same day. Like, you yeah, know, it's exactly. two sides of the street of the, the same weird coin. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, um, let's come full circle on it. One eighty-seven. Um, how do we feel about that in terms of 223? I think it maybe should exist in its own separate world. <laughs> yes, um, yes, I agree. Yeah, if, if I could asterisk it and maybe stick it in a separate column, I would probably do that. Mm. Uh, you said it would go towards the bottom of your list, though, if not the bottom. Yeah, but I love the idea of like separate category. But yeah, I just, I just think. I would put it at, right at the bottom for yeah. that reason. We need like a like a retire bitch list, like <laughs> just yeah. retirement. Yeah. Just just take it out and put it over here. <laughs> and uh, I would also put um, what's the one that I really did not Ooh, care for, um, George's. You like me uh, too much. Yes, I would also retire. That one. You, yeah, yeah. Going to the retirement list. Yeah, yeah. There, there's. Can I just mention a couple of other things that oh, I yeah. think are relevant? Absolutely. Please. Okay. Um, there's a couple of other things that I think are interesting about the song. One is, uh, you mentioned this, John, Jonathan, that, um, it's a series of songs where John positions himself as being hard done by, Mm. by a woman. Yeah. And I just think that that's interesting is that John puts himself into sort of the victim role. And apparently he is with some woman who is not particularly loyal uh and is always treating him wrong you know mm-hmm. like Which, i mean that's almost you... more autobiographical and just you know masking it by switching the names you know i mean he, it it makes you wonder how much of that is more confessional and just hiding it behind switching the roles you mean that he's the one that's running around and yet he this is so he really uh, well explain what you're saying so like he talks about so he talks about Norwegian wood being a way of wanting to tell Cynthia about him having affairs, but hiding it behind mm-hmm. kind of a story. 
So when he writes about being on the bad, being on the negative end of someone else that's running around, maybe that's his way of, of documenting what he's actually doing, but from the perspective of Cynthia or his partner, the victim, the victim for lack of other words. Yeah. I could also be reading way too much into that. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, that's a perspective I hadn't thought of, which is perfectly true that he is empathizing and and sort of getting how angry she would be if she knew, because he is legit running around at this point, you know? Um, I personally think that John, channels his own emotions more often than not but that could that could be an interesting read and i'll have to give some thought to that but i also think it's john's tendency no matter what the situation is to feel like the victim mm. and the one that is wronged yeah. you know what i mean yeah and again get to this this is to your point that he can be running around with a hundred girls yep. but if cynthia looks at the guy right that he is the wronged party yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. yeah 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 <laughs> We'll see that. Huh? Just, yeah. <laughs> you just look at all the songs like Can't Do That, uh, No Reply, Tell Me What Why, Day Tripper. Like it, it's all a similar narrative of John being like wronged by a woman and this woman who kind of has no scruples and no morals and is and so I, there's two things. One that I do think that John, no matter what the situation, manages to put himself in this position, but also it makes me wonder. I wish we knew more about who John was having relationships with. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it can't, I mean, I'm sure there's a large amount of just, you know, women in different towns as they're traveling, yeah, but yeah. also we know that there were women that like were consistent partners um, over the years, you know, and yeah. who's the one that was a few years older and she passed away and he took it really, really hard. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, that's right. What was her name? Um, uh, Alma uh, Coogan, I think. Yes, Alma. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, she's been she's been suggested as you know somebody that he was having a relationship with. So that's that's fair. Um, I just think that these these songs inspire a lot of emotion in John, and certainly, I think he would have been very possessive of Cynthia even after they got divorced. He's he wrote a song where he was like remembering about that time Cynthia was looking at a cowboy or something like that in India. So, <laughs> like his jealousy has no bounds in some ways, but. Um, I also think that she wasn't, she was staying at home. She wasn't really going out without him. So I have to assume these are based on, you know, short-term relationships that he's having or other relationships that he's having. And it just, is always weird to me when you're reading these stories that nobody stops to ask who's really um, exciting this much emotion in John. Mm. You know, I wish there was a little bit more of more digging yeah. into who was he really emotionally tied to at that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. I haven't really thought about that because, you know, as a songwriter, I when you're writing songs that are based in fiction, I think it's really hard to continually create new negative, new negative emotion to write about. Um, especially maybe, in that's a, just maybe that may, and that may well just be me. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't imagine writing that many songs about you, a partner doing sweet. that, doing me wrong. <laughs> That is true. You're very tenderhearted. You are. You do not have that like jealous guy thing. I mean, I'm sure like there. I'm sure that you, as most people, you felt that feeling before. Sure, sure. But it's not a large part of you. Yeah. Like you don't. That's not like a big thing for you. Yeah. I don't think. 
I could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, not, I'm not privy well, to your songwriting process, but. You, well, you know, they, they talk about like songs being like work songs and things that they just like yeah. did this churn, yeah. churn them out for whatever they need it for. Um, yeah. You have to feel like even just the remote seed of an idea has to be based in a truth. Um, and, I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. But even though this was lifted from an Elvis song, I think that there was an element that John was like, yep. I'm going to use that yeah. because as a jumping off point, because there's something in that that I can connect. You have with, to relate you know? to something. Yeah. And the rest of that song is not like that line. The rest of the song is like very campy that the rest of the Elvis song. Oh yeah. is like oh, super, yeah, super totally. campy. And then that one is like, Whoa, oh. that's kind of left field, buddy. Like where did that come? And it's interesting that he like pulled that totally. one, line, you know, like Mississippi justice. <laughs> Like, that's what he was like, ooh, this is what I like. Yeah. This one right here. Yes. I'm going to write a whole song yes. about that. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree with you about that one line. It's like, okay, I'm enjoying this song. And then just like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> you, you can go to college. You can drive a Cadillac. But I will kill you. Like, what? <laughs> whoa. Dude. Oh. Yeah, that was intense. Damn me. Intense. <laughs> Well, the, and, and, and actually, just looking at the words in this song, like if you look at the lyrics, there was one lyric that jumped out at me in this um, Run For Your Life was that he's saying, OK, well, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. You better keep your head, little girl, or I won't know where I am. And again, OK, so that last line or I you better keep your head, little girl, or I won't know where I am. Mm -hmm. And so it's like. John's putting all the responsibility on the other person yeah. to behave me properly or else, or else I'm going to go crazy. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and that, I think that's a typical John, John thing too. I mean, yeah. I, I can't imagine he's an easy partner in any relationship. Um, romantic, musical. He's, I mean, he's a, a documented, obviously a difficult guy to work with and just a difficult, confusing human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> confusing him but there is an element to this song that i think reflects how john would be such a sexy partner you know because he would be all in and yes i mean this is going to extremes but this idea that he is fully focused fully in fully you know he wants to merge names with people mm -hmm. i mean there's definitely something that would be i think like amazing about that and you know, I don't want somebody who wants to kill me if I look the wrong way, but <laughs> I love the idea of somebody who's that passionate about us being together, you know? Yeah. So, and that's, that's the amazing side of John, you know, mm -hmm. the passion, the love, the commitment. Like you could you see, know. like, he would probably be like the most amazing friend when he's like your friend, but yes. also like the most vicious enemy if you cross him or yes. if things go south. <laughs> Are you feeling seen, Julia? <laughs> I am. Am I a John? <laughs> I think everybody's still a little, little John. Maybe John and I'll be yeah. tender-hearted Paul. You are. <laughs> or maybe I'm more Ringo. I don't know. Probably more Ringo. I'm more like everybody's friend. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. No, I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. That's yeah. funny. And I, I think you're right, Jonathan, that that was the trade-off that Paul had, is that he knew... <laughs> He's, he had to have known when they were going to break up that it was going to be not easy, yeah. you know, that he wasn't going to be. But that's the upside of being with John. Like, you are you must feel, like, so powerful, so loved, so seen yeah. with John. 
And so, you know, some so. of the moments that he talks about that they had, you know, like real, like deep, like heartfelt emotional moments. Like when he talks about him or like recants yeah. him in a story, like they're really intense and they're really, they're moments that I don't know that I've had with like my closest friends. Yes. And it's like, wow, that's yes. like, that's a true like life partner, you know, in whatever that way will- it may be. And I love the fact that you're saying that because I do think in some ways they are typical, they are humans and they are typical creative partnership, but in some ways they, their bond, I think was so much deeper and really intimate and really intimate for men at that time, or even now, Mm -hmm. you know, like people who observed them said they were the closest people that, you know, they've ever seen. And, and, um, you know, people just said, even, uh, I think it was Eric Idle that talked about his relationship with uh, George being like he was like it, it was like being in a relationship but i think that that's how the beatles interacted that they yeah. were very intimate with each other mm-hmm. and so this whole idea of you know possessiveness and jealousy and you know I, I again not that this song is about them but i do think that this reflects who john is partly you know yeah, yeah he's and, just one of those people that feels intensely feels. About everything. And sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's extreme bliss and love and it's amazing and it's all consuming and passionate and wonderful. But if you get the other side of that coin, fucking look out. Like, run. Run for your life. Well, run for your life. (laughs) And and that's what you get. That's what you get on on Imagine. You get get jealous guy at the same time that you get how do you sleep which are both ostensibly mm-hmm. about Paul. Yeah. You know, Paul says that Jealous Sky was written, that John told him Jealous Sky was written about him. And everybody knows that How Do You Sleep was written about Paul. And I think that that's why Paul's able to deal with John is he understands that John just has big emotions, you know, yeah. but mm-hmm. he's all in. He's all in. Yeah. And like, you have so. to be an even keeled kind of chill guy to like be the yin to that yang, you know, to make that partnership work. You know. Right. Well, I think John in one member says that Paul is much more balanced than him, mm-hmm. which I think he was. I also think Paul is way, way crazier and way more emotional than he ever lets on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, John actually says that Paul is fairly obsessive, too. So I, I do think that that may be underplayed. But certainly between the two of them, yes, he is the balanced. Yeah, one, you know? I, th- I think he I think he has, he has a better re- idea of like. I hate to say internalizing because that always manifests itself. Not always, but it can manifest itself in, in bad ways. But I think he's able to keep himself in check maybe better yes, I, than John I can. I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. He has better control. He keeps himself in check. I unfortunately think he does internalize stuff. Yeah. In a way that John doesn't like John just reacts and, you know, sort of goes over the top and then he moves on. Whereas I think potentially, you know, this is reading into Paul's psychology. He might keep it in and never, you know, and have repeatedly deal with things, which is for him. Well, you know, and it's, oh my God, we are John and Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you, I think y'all mentioned this in an episode. Um, You know, I think about when you, if you consider like uh, the plastic Ono band record. um, Yeah where John is just, it's raw. He, there's like mother, like the end of mother is maybe the most like guttural kind of screaming that a person can do. Um, yeah. And then you don't really get that from Paul, but when you do get it is like on my dark hour, the um, Steve Miller song that he plays drums on, on the day yeah. that they were supposed to sign the Alan Klein agreement. Um, yeah. And they, 
and everybody walks out and he runs into Steve Miller, plays drums on the song and does the chorus with him. But, and it's a massive slamming drum performance from him, but his vocal on there is really kind of nuts. Like the way he screams that chorus, like that's a pissed off scream. That's not like just going for like the old, you know, little Richard scream. Like that is a pissed off scream. And it's rare that you get that kind of performance from him. I agree. Is Paul does them, but he kind of hides them a little bit more. Um, do you think that Helter Skelter is kind of like that? I think that's kind of a culmination of, of maybe not a culmination, but that's like a tip of the iceberg of him, like being frustrated, you know, the who were coming on with like this big loud thing. And he's like trying to like, we can do that because we're that good. Remember y'all. And yeah, then yeah, like yeah. Yeah. leading them into that and trying to kind of work that out for everybody. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's that scene in let it be. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's in the actual film, uh, but when George walks out and like the three of them plus Yoko just yeah. make noise for like 45 yes. minutes, just ang- yes. it's like, it's the child, it's a child screaming, you know, like it's just angry screaming from a ch- like a child perspective. Um, and you don't get yeah. that a lot from Paul. So, you know, I, I find that kind of stuff interesting when yeah. he really like lets loose and just unloads. He does in ways like um, like a woman, a why, mm. or even something like backseat of my car. You get elements of him coming and just like letting loose vocally. But I, I do take your point that it's less channeled. And I also agree with you, like with Helter Skelter, it's less from his soul. It is emotional, but it's less from his soul than and more from his John. gut. Yeah. Like yeah, to yeah. do that, you have to like to do a vocal like that. You've got to kind of really be focused on something, whether yeah. it's an internal thing or something. But like to do like the little Richard kind of thing, like that's just a thing that he knew, like learned how to do. But to really unleash something like that, I think takes something from inside that's really got you like that's jabbing at you. And I think those are his plastic Ono moments, you know, it's plastic McCartney moments. There's a little bit bit in McCartney where I think it's not the same. It's not coming from the same place, but there is elements of real guttural truthfulness in some of those songs, Mm -hmm. you know, even in career Crean McCrory. However you pronounce that. Yeah, however you pronounce it, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I do take your point. Although I, I think that that would be a good challenge to sort of look at where do we feel like there is real, honest, authentic emotion poured into a Paul song mm-hmm. in that same kind of way. Yeah. John does more often, but yeah. I think Paul, it does come out in Paul songs. Yeah. Oh, one other thing, that, one other thing that, Paul says in in his write up that he he equates it weirdly the run for your life he equates that with John running, and that being a John theme running yeah. for his life, and I thought that was really interesting. You know, like Ray Connolly, who I've talked to, has um, said that you know he he called his book a restless life, mm-hmm. and it's just this idea that John is always running, you know, to the next thing. He's and, always and looking and it's for not the next to- thing. Yeah, yeah. So. Part of it, like you said, is maybe just him channeling his own, you know, mm-hmm. need to run for his life. I do think I do think that this idea of him channeling his own, this is his own life. These are his own fe- feelings is important, too. You know, yeah. this is somebody who's running for his life in some ways. Man, this, so. this is uh, 
a fascinating conversation and I've really like, this has been awesome. Thank you for, for having this conversation with us. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Um, Super. I did want to ask you, uh, you know, as I mentioned to our guests earlier in the show, and we've mentioned it throughout the show, um, you co-host a fantastic podcast called another kind of mine. Um, mm-hmm. What, is, what's been one of the bigger challenges that you found in putting this podcast together? I guess I'm wondering more like from a perspective of like, I don't want to say, I guess what's the biggest challenge in like reapproaching topics that have been tread so many times, like from a completely different perspective, like what kind of challenges do those, does that present you? The, the toughest thing for me has had to, has been to put aside what I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. super hard, super hard, you know, that, that it's like having read so many books and spent so many years thinking and talk, talking and, you know, reading about the Beatles and listening to the Beatles, that there was a very dominant story. So stepping away from that lens and just looking at the events, mm-hmm. from a more objective perspective was incredibly, incredibly hard. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, even looking at like, you know, uh, an author that people like a lot, like Doggett, uh, Peter Doggett, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, oh, this is a great story. And then when you start to look at how he tells the story, you don't realize how much editorializing people do until I'm cross-referencing 10 books on the same subject mm-hmm. and see all of the take on it. So, yeah. and then there's pushback. That's the other thing is that, <laughs> Such pushback. Everybody's just like, come on. No, we know that story. And it's a lot of us um, being like, okay, but let's just put that aside because I think that's people's natural inclination. Like, no, no, no. I know this story, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. People, people, I have, I have been amazed with people's ability. Like a lot of people, their willingness and openness to be like, okay, I like that story but I'm willing to entertain something new. Like I'm, I'm really astounded by mm-hmm. the willingness that came from people. Yeah. I think that's why I'm sort of glad that I don't know, like I haven't read the books. I don't know the stories. Yeah. So it's probably easier yeah. for me to like absorb these and sort of talk through them and entertain yes. new ideas and like talk it through and like, well, maybe it's this or, <laughs> you know, like it, it's fascinating to me because I'm learning so much as we go through this process. Yeah. Like I was able to reference uh, John being mad about Paul re- doing recording That's things by right. himself. Yeah. Look at you. I'm, I'm so proud things. of you. I'm so proud of you. But Julia, I do wonder, like, you know, I, I had some of my friends listen and they're like, I'm totally confused by your podcast. Sometimes I think it requires some knowledge. I don't know if it does or it doesn't. You know, I think that, oh, please go ahead. I think a little base knowledge. Like I, yeah. I have like a basic, just uh, things that I've absorbed over time from Jonathan. Um, you know, the whole like, oh, you will go bring up the Beatles. Uh, you know, like yeah, everyone yeah, knows yeah. that. And they, like, everyone makes the joke and, you know, that sort of thing. So it, it's really nice. And Jonathan's for a long time has said like, that's bullshit. These guys were sort yeah. of egomaniacs and destroyed themselves. Yeah. Like that's the very basic yeah. version. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, it's not the woman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything about this. <laughs> but um it's yeah it's so i yeah i think like a a little base knowledge is good so that you know when you guys do flip the script it's like oh okay i see where you're going with this and i can see how that could be true that's very interesting yeah great have there been any like big sea changes 
and how you view anything in particular related to the band? Like through your own research? Uh, oh, oh yeah, for me, absolutely. Um, you know, I always thought that there was this incredible bond. I think everybody, well, I won't speak for everybody, but I think a lot of people are really attracted to the friendship partnership story relationship between Lennon and McCartney. Mm -hmm. And so I always loved that um, and was attracted to that. But now that we've delved into it, the, the good news is it's even more amazing than I thought it was and deeper than I thought it was. And I think the thing that I have concluded is that it never ended. That's sort of the biggest issue for me is that, you know, in the traditional telling of the story, John seems to check out at some point in 68. And I do not think, I do not believe that. That That's probably the biggest, most important insight mm -hmm. that we have is that this wasn't about one person losing interest or checking out. This is about reactivity and games and egos and need for attention and approval, all, the, all that kind of human stuff. That's all this was. Yeah. And even in the 70s, they are continuing a different form of partnership and relationship is what I believe. Mm -hmm. and so, and I think that Paul, we always said this too. I think that Paul is not understood for the artist that he has. And I think that people underrepresent what a formidable talent and how strong he was within the Beatles. And that's kind of, I think, forgotten about in this story. And that's not to say that John wasn't equally strong. Yeah. It's just to say that you have to realize that these are two powerhouses that are reacting to each other. And even that George and Ringo are reacting to Paul. So mm -hmm. those are some sea changes that, you know. Yeah. I've and seen. they're like reacting to each other sort of as I mean, they were kind of kids when this all started and just like yes. thrown into this absolutely bonkers world that yes. none of us have any experience with, you know, yes. and trying to navigate that, their relationship with the world, their relationship with each other, business, yep. personal yep. lives, yep. relationships, romantic relationships. Yeah, I mean, it's like all like, I mean, it's hard enough sometimes just to like to do our life. And we're not famous. <laughs> to, th to think that when they broke up, George was 27? Is that it's insane. Like, it's what insane. was I doing with my life at 27? <laughs> what was anyone doing with their life I at know. 27? What did you accomplish? This man had accomplished everything yeah, at 27. Exactly. Like, who lives He's that life? He had the biggest life possible by 27. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Wow. Insane. How stupid were we at 25? <laughs> I mean, just idiots yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a great point julia that is a great point like we are applying like that the and actually uh, a professional musician i know a friend of mine said that he's like they had so much pressure on them they're moving so fast mm -hmm. you know they're not thinking they're just reacting emotionally you know like they're we're applying so much like depth to what they're thinking and i think underneath a lot of the, the dynamics we're talking about are true but they're mm -hmm. not thinking them through they're yeah. just reacting and mm -hmm. they have they it's interesting because Paul tells the story about, um, uh, you know, being lucky that when his mom died, he met John. And when Linda died, he met Heather. And it's it's kind of a sad story that he's telling. But he's he's talking about how, you know, he somebody really important to him died and another person that's really important to him came into his life. And you can see how tied his mother and John are. Not that he sees them in the same way, just in that there's like some kind of bond. A void you know? that gets filled. yeah. And then John, when he is talking to Janov, uh, John's father talks about the fact that um, um, 
that John is ranting about Julia and Alf and Mimi and Paul, you know, like they all get, he, he actually says the Beatles, but the son remembers that he was talking about Paul. Mm-hmm. And so Paul gets lumped into the family there. So you can see how, you know, deeply woven they are into each other's lives and hearts and everything like that, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Just to get super deep for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so, it's so fun to have y'all take us into this new realm of, of thinking for for this story that I think we all are so invested in as fans, you know, it's, I really am a super appreciative of the work that y'all are doing with, with the show. So. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm super appreciative of of the work you guys are doing too. I think it's fantastic. I don't always agree (laughs) with um, the ratings. I will remind you that Paul just listed the long and winding road as one of his greatest songs. I saw that. I saw that. (laughs) Yeah. So I would have to, Agree, but this is a personal thing, right? So no, it's it's funny because you you mentioned as we were emailing about this, it was like not a big Paul fan, are you? And we we mm-hmm. get that all the time, and it's so funny because I feel like I'm a huge Paul fan. Yeah, like we have a, a poster of Paul in our bedroom, which sounds really odd and like teenage, <laughs> but we got like a, okay, that's legit. That's legit. Like <laughs> we got a, a poster that he was selling on tour, and like it's a really nice print. So we framed it. He's in very small in the poster. Yeah. It's like it's like lots of you know space, yeah. and then like he's very small, like at a piano, right? Yeah. And it works with the color scheme. Of, he features in like, shirt off or anything. So. No, it's him on no. a beach, shirtless. He uh, he features in like every room in our house. We're huge Paul fans. Yeah. Um, I'm I, waiting my chance to have my Paul shawl made. Like massive the Paul, Paul fan. Shawl. The Paul shawl. And, you know, I just want to want to wrap myself in Paul. <laughs> well, we are wrapping ourselves in a lot of Paul over the next four years. So. That's true. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, do you have time for some rapid fire questions? Let's do them. Awesome. I've got time. All right. All right. I'll go with favorites. You go with least favorites. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, favorite Beatles song. Oh, I can't answer that. I've got a whole Beatles podcast. I, this, you know, ranking is a very guy thing. I am just going to play the woman card here. <laughs> yes. And say it. Fair enough. She rejects your question. I reject the premise. (laughs) Do you have, do you, then I'm taking over. Do you have a least favorite? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) I can honestly say, Jonathan, I was talking to somebody. I was like, you know how many times I've ranked songs or movies with my friends, with my girlfriends? And I was like, oh yeah, that would be zero times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) <laughs> yes, well, it's just not I, it's not a typical female thing to do. I hate to stereotype and maybe it's maybe it is these days for the kids, but certainly not for me. Well, anytime I can learn something new about the opposite sex, I will <laughs> gladly take that lesson. <laughs> um then I will jump to this one question then. Um yeah. do you have a favorite memory associated with the Beatles? Whether with a song or a album or just something that is the Beatles were present in a favorite memory for you. Oh my God. Unfortunately, they, they are so much a part of my memories and my good memories that uh, I really could not say, you know, you asked me this question in advance. And um, so no, there isn't uh, at all because they brought so much life, uh, love to so much of my life. But I did, there's a couple of um, just experiences that I could talk about very briefly where 
you know, a Beatles song actually just came back new into my life. I, I was out in New York one time drinking late at night, you know, with a group of people in a pizza, like some kind of like one of the famous pizza places in New York, or maybe not. I remember it was in the West Village and like there was nobody there. We were closing down the place. It was three o'clock in the morning and Hey Jude came on. And it was funny because, you know, I grew up with Hey Jude and like, you know, when there was dances when we were 12 or whatever, you know, mm. it's just like so ubiquitous that I had stopped ever thinking about the song. Like, it just was like, yeah, it's Hey Jude, whatever. And I must have been, I was probably quite drunk and maybe one or two people in this pizza place while the song was playing. And it just made me hear it anew. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, this song is incredible. Like, it's just <laughs> like, you, you, I almost got to experience it again. You know, just how amazing the song was. Mm -hmm. And so that was one time in New York where it's unfortunate because some of Paul's really big songs and the Beatles big songs are so ubiquitous that we stop hearing them. Yeah. But that was just like, it gave me renewed love for that particular song, like just the bliss that is, you know, the second half of the song. Mm -hmm. um, and then one time, similarly, I was standing on a platform uh, waiting for the subway and there was a, a guitarist playing and he was playing a very jazz version. And I was like, what is this song? And he played two in a row, actually. He played, and I was like, these are so beautiful. And it's crazy. Like, why Why can't I place this? And this was at, at a point where I wasn't deeply into the Beatles. And it was, he was playing And I Love Her and Junk. And both of those melodies were just so beautiful. And again, taken out of context, it made me realize how uh, incredible they are, you know, that it isn't just the Beatles. It's just like, these are just sort of these incredible songs. And one more, you know, that I have in my renewed fandom in the past five years and I've fallen in love with is uh, If I Fell, oh, which is, yeah. yeah, which is a real top, top song for me too. It is really nice to like, in doing this podcast, I feel like I, I have reapproached songs that I, maybe hadn't listened to in a long time and gotten a new appreciation yeah. for. Um, you know, uh, Free as a Bird was one that I really hadn't listened to in a long time. And as I started working on this, I put it on. And it, even though it's a very different thing, like, and it's kind of its whole, it's another thing that maybe should exist in like a separate category, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, it's, it's just beautiful. Like what they did on that track, I think is fantastic. Um, are there things that I would do differently from a production standpoint, sure, um, but I think it, I think it came out as best as 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 well as I could have hoped it did. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. I, I was like, I forgot how much I liked this song. This is a really great tune. Yeah, and you probably were looking at it with so your expectations were so great probably when it first came out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus actually just looking at it right now in retrospect, you know, I love that song. I especially love Real Love. Yeah. I think that that's an incredible song. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's funny because reapproaching Free as a Bird made me go, well, I should go back to Real Love too. Yeah. These came out great. Like for, for what, yeah. for what they are, for having, for bearing the weight of what they, what they have to be. I think they're fantastic. Like, beautiful yeah. songs. I'll gladly yeah. add them to the catalog. So. <laughs> okay, good. Well, Diana, where can our listeners check out Another Kind of Mind? Uh, well, everywhere that you can get Spotify or um, Apple. Um, All your podcast places. 
Yeah, all your usual podcast places. Uh, we have a we're on Twitter. Uh, at, I think it's Acon Podcast. I should have written these down because I never know. We have a Facebook page. And as I said, we are doing some other side projects. While we are also doing um, Acom or another kind of mind, we are also doing some other side uh, projects, including other podcasts. Fun. So and you're going to see uh, some more stuff coming from us individually. Wonderful. Are you guys going to be sharing your side podcasts from the Another Kind of Mind socials? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah, okay. Will. Just so we don't miss. Yes. <laughs> that would be very sad. And I'm very excited for new episodes coming. I can't wait. Oh, yeah, they are coming. They are coming. We are sorry it's taken so long. We are working on them. We are we we recorded three at once, which was a problem. You know, we got so into the story that we recorded a ton. And the end we absolutely love the ending. And so that's that's sort of what's delaying it is we are fixing up the beginning. But I, mm. I we're really, really happy with them. So I hope people like them too. Do you have a So um... we will get them out of is there a time frame for when they're coming? I think we're hoping that we'll get them out in the next. Um, so again, there's two, maybe three. Mm-hmm. I think we're hoping we'll get them out in the next six weeks. Awesome. Fantastic. Can't wait. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, we will. And let us know. Let us know what you think. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, and also you all have a fantastic uh, discussion group on Facebook. Like separate from yes. the Facebook page, the, disp- the, the discussion page is like a whole deeper level of conversation. And I think that's super fun. So uh, everybody check all that out. Hit that subscribe button on that podcast because it is fantastic. Well, <laughs> oh, Diana, thank you, thank you so much for doing this with us. It has been an absolute joy to get to chat with you today. I'm glad we were able to uh, connect finally. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, woman to woman, I appreciate you being here. <laughs> Because I think it's just nice to have like a different perspective rather than just, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple dudes talking about a song. And the men seem to tend to be a little dismissive of things that sometimes women find a bit more concerning. So it was nice to like explore the obvious and then also the not so obvious, everything around the possibilities of them as people, you know, and how they interact with the world was, was so fun. So great. I, I learned a lot. I thought about a lot. And I'm going to walk away from this thinking about it more. Excellent. Me too, actually. I must say that this has made me give a lot of thought to this song. And it's been really great chatting with you. So well, thank, thank you. you very much. Well, awesome. I hope we can do it again soon. We've got three more years of shows if oh you want gosh. to come back. Excellent. Cool. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to find one to chance. Yes. <laughs> well, have a great afternoon. I'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Great. Also. Thanks so much. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Diana Erickson, everybody. How about that? That was amazing. I kind of feel like my mind has been a little bit blown. I know. I'm like reeling after that. Yeah. That was absolutely fantastic. I think I need to go take a nap. <laughs> well. No. Have a drink. Yep. Yeah, have a drink. It's it's Saturday. <laughs> We're going to have a drink. Yes. <laughs> um, what do you think? Run for your life at number 187. What do you think? Too high? Too low? Just right? Should it be in its own separate category? Retirement. There was a lot to unpack in that show. Mm. Um, And I feel like we probably could have kept going for like another hour. Oh, easily. Yeah. Um, But I'm hungry. (laughs) I am too. (laughs) Uh, But I'm glad that we got a chance to go deep into this track because I think it was a necessary thing. Um, So please let us know your thoughts, friends. Uh, We would love to hear your thoughts. Also... Do yourselves a friggin' favor and go subscribe to Another Kind of Mind. 
for real. On whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the conversations continue on social media with them, and they are flippin' fantastic. <laughs> so, with that in mind, uh, if you get a chance, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All those places. Subscribe to the old pod if you're not already. If this is your, this first, is time, your first time, smash that subscribe button. You got 30 other episodes to go catch up on. While you're there, five-star review, not a bad idea. We would appreciate a good five-star <laughs> review. Um, that's always always appreciated. Uh, we will be back next week with a brand new episode. It's going to be the first time we've done in-person interviews. Yes, but we are doing it safely. We're going to be outside socially distant i mean jonathan and i live together so we can sit next to each other right. that's fine but our other guests plural <laughs> will be on separate corners of our back patio which is sizable and we will be safe it's going to be a round table discussion i am very excited about you guys so with that in mind we will bid you adieu <laughs> until next week <laughs> Uh, You're on fire today. I am on fuego. <laughs> Until next week, take care of yourselves. I'm Jonathan. I'm Julia. This is Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all.